Good morning, Sarah. How are you? Oh, hello, Daniel. It's nice to see you. Uh, do you want to do a podcast today? Let's do it. Do you want to do an intro for no, Scotty Land? I just want to do the podcast <laughs> and no intro. You got to say the name of the show. Oh, right. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the It Couple. I'm Sarah. I'm Dan. We're a married couple. For now. For now. <laughs> <laughs> Shit, I forgot to mention on last week's episode, that was our four year wedding we anniversary. Made it, baby. We did it. We're at least not one of those couples that divorces after a year and everyone who goes to their wedding is like, I fucking gave you a gift. Where's my gift back? Exactly. And I mean, I feel like when you get to the four year mark, you graduated. You've graduated high school, right? So now five year five right. comes college, freshman. Yeah. So we'll see how it goes. Which but- is interesting because the only thing more depressing than high school is, uh, is I mean, grad school is divorce. Oh, I fucked that up. Yeah, let's take that. No, let's leave that in Spaventa. I want people <laughs> to know <laughs> what I married. This, this is one of my favorite. Uh, again, one of my closest um, friends in comedy, Scotty Landis. Such a sweetheart. We love Scotty Lane. Yeah, worked with him on a on a movie that <laughs> someday we'll see the light of day, folks. Trips it's a horror it. movie. Yeah, check it and out. It also, like, isn't Silence of the Lambs, after watching it for this, I was like, this might be like one of the greatest movies ever. Yeah, it's it, 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 it trans- it's like The Exorcist. You yeah. know, it transcends genre. Um, it's, you know, Jonathan Demme. This is just awesome. The book's amazing. Thomas Harris, if you haven't, like, read Red Dragon and this, they're, they're great. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I really enjoyed this episode. And Scott is a match. Check out his podcast, Bananas. Bananas that he does. Yeah, he also has a movie with Burt Kreischer out. He wrote, um, he wrote The Machine. So mm-hmm. check that uh, out. Check that out, folks. Um, go see Ma. He wrote. Go Ma. see Ma. Yeah, yep. he wrote the horror movie Ma. So yeah, super that's, talented, that's, that's super his, funny. Uh, pedigree for being on the show. And I loved having him for this episode because he really loves this movie and you can tell it wasn't like here here's a movie to watch he chose it he wanted to watch it he's into it and i love that perfect yes oh man i you you feel that i'm feeling i'm feeling uh i'm feeling halloween season baby something uh something hard in my pants and it's the candy corn (laughs) oh good god no (laughs) no i I, all right you're not real fbi are you I'm still in training at the academy. Jack Crawford sent a trainee to me. Yes, I'm a student. I'm here to learn from you. Maybe you can decide for yourself whether or not I'm qualified enough to do that. Hey guys, we're going to get to the episode in a second, but big news, October 24th, the It Couple is on Patreon. For $5 a month, you get an extra episode every week. And we're starting out with a bang, baby. On October 24th, we will be reviewing No One Will Save You. And we're going to be doing our first ever watch-along, Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. This movie is fucking wild. Spaventa and Sarah and I get high out of our minds and try to make sense of it. It's a blast. Check us out. Uh, We're going to be focusing on a lot of modern horror. Talk to me, a few other great flicks coming up. But become a patron. $5 a month, and you get four extra episodes a month. Get in the Halloween spirit the right way and uh, become a patron. I'm 
Scotty Landis, everybody. Scotty! Thanks for having me. Let's let's scare the shit out of each other. I'm ready. Yeah. My <laughs> favorite Landis in entertainment, Scotty. My favorite Landis. The nicest Landis. Let's say the nicest Landis. Yeah. yeah. Yes. My last name is spelled L-A-N-D-E-S, and I am so grateful for that. Like, and you haven't, so grateful. You haven't killed anybody with a helicopter recently, so there or, you go. Yeah, been accused of anything terrible uh, with women. Uh, Wait, we so thank you so much for picking this movie. It's one of our favorite movies. I was just telling Scotty that for Christmas, I think when Dan and I first started dating, he commissioned the the drawing that he does of Clarice, but it's of me holding our dog. I can't find it because that's how special she didn't it is love to it me. at the time. Yeah, I don't think she loved no, it. No, I the loved time. it. I think. I have like weird body dysmorphia as most women You're do. You're great in it. And I think I just was like, my head was super big. So it was like long. Yeah, but I love your big head. <laughs> but also for, you know, you want it slightly <laughs> exaggerated. Like all scary movie posters need to be a little big. So to have like a portrait is, it just fits the motif so well. Yeah. It, does. it was beautiful though. So thank you. <laughs> I didn't realize until researching this movie again. Thank you. That uh, the uh, poster, the Silence of the Lambs poster, the um, the moth that's in her mouth is Salvador Dali uh, designed that. that. Yeah, he did is the little that painting. True? Wait, yeah, did... it's from a Salvador Dali painting. I oh, think. so he didn't. Okay, got it. No, he was so dead by the time this came out. To that, that must have cost them a pretty penny. So this film won many Oscars. Yeah, uh, it, it won the Big Five. It was the first one to make the Big Five, right? Screenplay, right. director, picture, best actor, best actress. Yep, it was released on January thirtieth, nineteen ninety-one. The budget was nineteen million. Box office two hundred and seventy-two million. Can I just say that's got to be? It has got to be. <laughs> it has got to be crazy though. Like it is hard for a movie to be released in January to then win Best Picture. You know, the next year. That's mm-hmm. very tough. So that's how well, this great this movie read, is. There was something about um, Dances with Wolves was the <sighs> same uh, studio. So they wanted, they didn't want it to steal its thunder. So that won all the Oscars. And then this came out the next year. So The next be, year. You know, well, it's a better movie than Dances with Wolves, even though I think Dances with Wolves is good. Yeah. Yeah. Lower body count somehow, but it's way a lower movie. body count. <laughs> Hannibal Lecter has nothing on guns, germs, and steel, everybody. <laughs> uh, so, this uh, film we stars Jodie Foster as Agent Clary Starling. Mm-hmm. And then we also have Anthony Hopkins, Sir Anthony Hopkins. Mm. And he plays. Who's currently in Mark St. Germain's My Dad's movie. Um, which is kind of crazy because by the time this comes out, I guess it'll be announced already. But my dad wrote a a, a movie called Freud's Last. Uh, he wrote a play called Freud's Last Session about uh, Freud and C.S. Lewis. Wow! Uh, like, and uh, it is now being filmed hmm. um, in London. In London with Anthony Hopkins as Freud. I mean, they just actually wrapped. So yeah, incredible. Yeah, See, that's incredible. Circle. <laughs> I know it is uh, Jonathan Demi directed this but this movie like this is one of those movies like No Country for Old Men and Die Hard and Jaws that I can watch over and over and over again and never get bored pretty incredible because it's one of the only movies that I every time I think I remember it I go back and watch it and I like it more every single time and I was so young when it came out but I remember my parents went and saw it with their friends and it was such a phenomenon like the just the concept of like cannibalism no I it really wasn't in stuff unless it was like crappy B 
scary movies. Yeah, Cannibal Holocaust. It like stuff, yeah. it came in and then it just stuck. And like a lot of the great horror movies do that. Like everybody always talks about The Exorcist or Jaws, uh, but I think this is the best film out of all of them. Mm-hmm. I think it's the best movie out of all of them. Yeah, it's yeah for us. It's like this, and because we we just recorded our first chunk of these, and I feel like this and Rosemary's Baby and Exorcist are all fighting for the you mean the, the top spot. I think this is better than The Shining. For, yeah, oh, as a 100%. Movie, for sure. I this do is too. better than The Shining. And uh, and uh, there's too many like loose ends with The Shining. So, but I think Exorcist is on its level and I think um, and I think Rosemary's Babies is on its I, level, I, but I, I agree with Scotty because every time you watch this, you do like it's not about like finding other elements of the story that maybe you didn't catch. It's just like I'm seeing things for the first time sometimes. And it's like the most subtle things um, but let's uh, let's get into the plot a little, shall we? Uh, so yeah, we start off with Clarice, and she's running through the woods. It's actually a beautiful shot, and love uh, that shot. Love it. I know. Dan even wrote in his notes. He's like, "It's perfect. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's perfect. perfect. It's perfect." She meets with uh, Jack Crawford, who is based on John Douglas, who wrote Mindhunter. So he developed the serial killer playbook for the I've, FBI. Yeah. Can I jump in here? Yeah, I've, I've read a bunch of John Douglas. I read uh, Mindhunter, which is what the show is based on, and then I read his book on BTK because he was he was helpful when it came to that. Um, it's interesting, like the biggest case that he's known for, Wayne Williams, there's a debate, it's the Atlanta child murders, debate of whether or not he actually did it. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, John Douglas is a is a real brilliant dude. And this character, Jack Crawford, played, you know, it was based on John Douglas, originally was supposed to be played by Gene Hackman, which should have changed the entire, which would have changed the entire movie they would have had to give him a bitter i think it would have made it worse they would have had to give him a bigger part it's like yeah. when we found out rosemary's baby uh robert duval i mean i'm sorry robert redford was supposed to play guy woodhouse it's like well once you, once you bring in those i mean as you know as a screenwriter once you bring in somebody like that you've got to like then a lot assert which is kind of why i love barbarian because they bring in one of the scars guards but he has a limited role and it's almost yeah. like a red herring role yeah yeah but, it's a misdirect, absolutely. Mm-hmm. No, it's yep. true. And the the actor, I don't remember the actor's name who plays Jack Crawford. What's that guy's name? Do we oh, know? Uh, uh, yeah, I have it. It's Scott. Scott I know Glenn. Glenn. Scott Glenn. Yeah, Scott Glenn. he was in. The, he's like he's great in the leftovers too. He's different. so good because mm-hmm. the and one element of this movie as we go through it that I think is the most like effective thing that Jonathan Demi decided to do is every guy stares at Clarice in every single scene. Every man is staring yeah. at her, including her boss. But like, and Jack's the one that you're trusting the most because he he seems upstanding, but then he does stand too close to her and he does just stare at her. And he's and handsome. He's and he's her. very <laughs> handsome. Yeah. Yeah. And he's using her. He's like mm-hmm. dangling her out there like a carrot. So it's interesting that the most trustworthy dude, and Gene Hacker was an incredible actor, but there's something about the lesser known character guys that you feel like it's him and you're like, what is this guy thinking about Clarice? Instead of it was Gene Hackman playing Jack Crawford, you'd be like, look at Gene Hackman being all serious and being a exactly. boss. It takes you out. It's almost like stunt casting when there's someone mm-hmm. super famous playing an, an, you know, an actual human being, someone that's not a character that they helped create. So there's also like Scott the, Glenn's the, great in it. No, but yeah. Time in the nineties, like male movie stars, like I guess Gene Hackman had just done Mississippi Burning, and he didn't want to do something that dark again. That was his basic reasoning. 
even though both roles really aren't that dark, but like this is what the cast could have been, which I think is like crazy. It could have Gene Hackman as Jack Crawford, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the first person they went through with Hannibal Lecter, you know who it was? Sean Connery. Sean Connery was their first choice, who would have been bad. No. And he turned it down. He said it was the it most disgusting so you know, script he's ever read. Mm-hmm. And then another option <laughs> for Clarice, who turned it down before Jodie Foster, was Meg Ryan. Which is that would have been a been okay. She would have been okay. She wouldn't have been fucking Jodie Foster, but no, 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 no. Too vulnerable. Yeah, I don't know if just not as good. But this was also her heyday of making all of those like rom coms. So well, it's like nineteen ninety, right? Ninety one, it came out. So it's probably shot in the nineties. So yeah, she's well. I guess yeah, she's starting to get. I mean, I thought she was a total babe, but she's not the actress that uh, Jodie Foster. Interesting. That's interesting. It yep. would have been a different movie, you know. But um, that's 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 the power of casting. That's the power of movie that's magic the power and casting. Of casting. So <laughs> he, uh, so uh, the boss brings her in, Jack Crawford, and he's telling her that they have to. Uh, sorry, our dog's growling at the other dog. Uh, he wants to send her to um, a prison to meet with an inmate there who is somewhat notorious. And um, like you Still said, one of the nicest places in Baltimore, though, this mental institution. So he sends her and it's just kind of like, um, oh, this is good for you. This will be good for you. This is what right. you need to do. So she kind of goes in there blindly. You know, when he's warning her, uh, Anthony Held, who's so great at playing such a dick in this. Dude, he, I realize who he is. He is... The drama version of Shooter McGavin. Yeah. Like every, like when you, in a drama, when you need Shooter McGavin, you get him. When you, in a comedy, you get Shooter McGavin. It's very yes. true. He yeah. is. He's so like, he's such a prick and you just oh, want yeah. something bad to happen to him the whole time. So uh, he's warning her about like what to do and how to behave, but she's still. Dr. Chilton. Dr. Chilton. Thank you. He's also, also creepy with her. Also lingers a little too long, gets a yes. little too close. Um, not to jump ahead, but you really see that in the scene where they leave her with all of the cops. Yes. Totally insane. And they're all looking at her and staring at her and she's looking back. Um, but before we get there. The only time she's not threatened is when they go to the bug guys and the bug guy just asks her out and she seems fine with that. And she's like, no, I'm not into it. But everybody else seems to have like a secret agenda. But the guy with the, with the cross-eyed. Like, you're never nervous about him. For whatever reason, he's the only guy you're not nervous about in this entire movie. (laughs) Like, doing something to her. Um, Yeah, so, okay, so we now, do you want to take it to... Well, yeah, I mean, um, first off, I'm like a huge Thomas Harris fan. Sounds of the Lambs the only one I haven't read. I read Red Dragon and Hannibal, and I've I've seen Manhunter and all those. But, um, yeah, so she goes in there, and she's under the auspices of... Um, she's just going to be uh, getting an I, you know, an I, almost like a census for serial killers, which is what they did mm-hmm. in Quantico when they were starting to like, you know, like um, research all these guys in the eighty early eighties and stuff. She she thinks she's doing that, and she's not. She's essentially being brought in there because, um, which they don't get into too much, and I, mm-hmm. I can get through the weeds on this. Um, in the book, it's because he does have. He does have connections to Buffalo Bill, and I, they sort of they mm-hmm. sort of mention it here. Um, in canon, the book's uh, connections are that Buffalo Bill was the lover of one of Hannibal uh, Lecter's patients, and Buffalo Bill, who 
who the the patient did not believe, even though they were lovers, he didn't believe this guy was gay. So he broke up with him and got with another guy. And then Buffalo Bill murdered that guy. Mm-hmm. And then he knew about it. And then Hannibal ends up murdering the patient. But he went to like one meeting. I guess that there's they had one meeting together with Buffalo Bill and Hannibal. I don't know if they want, you know, like because all of Red Dragon, it's really like Hannibal Lecter's. Um, you know, relationship with that serial killer. So maybe they didn't want to do the same thing, but this, they're very, they're, they're kind of amorphous about like, that's the only thing. There's a couple things that they do, which I think are really smart as a movie, but uh, like, kind of like, like when they find the whole ruse about the other prison, like all that stuff goes on off screen and you kind of have to like, kind of put it all together. But if you're a director and a writer, like I totally see why they made that cut because it would just slow, like the whole scene down is like, you're going to lie to him? Yeah, but should we lie to him? I don't know. Like it's just a nothing burger scene. Mm-hmm. And that's why this movie's perfect. They know where to get rid of the nothing burgers. That's really true because you don't really care. If you if you didn't see Buffalo Bill later and see what he was doing, then it's a huge problem. But just to kind of be like, Yes, he was a patient of mine and he like and just to know enough about him because we already are convinced he's a genius. And the whole time they keep getting into like like when he talks to Miggs and like basically makes Miggs kill himself. You get the idea that Hannibal's so good at reading people that even meeting somebody one time, he could figure out everything about them. So the whole Buffalo Bill connection is just like it doesn't matter if you sat next to this guy on the bus for five minutes, he would have you completely broken down. Then that's why he's like the best villain. Yeah, it's true. And, you know, she's warned about it, too, by Crawford. He's like, don't don't give him don't answer any of his questions yet. Nothing personal. And what happens as soon as she gets in there, he recognizes her accent. He basically knows exactly where she grew up, what her life was like. And they kind of go back and forth. 18 minutes of total screen time from Anthony. It's 18 or 20. In the whole movie? In the whole movie. And he won Best Actor. Wow. Yeah. And it'll define his career in America. I mean, when he has his in memoriam, it's going to be him being wheeled in with that mask. That is still a (laughs) Halloween mask. And they'll be like, everybody be like, yeah, I remember him. Well, it's so great. Have you seen The Father yet with Anthony Hopkins? Yes. Uh, It's beautiful and so sad. And he's so different. He's like, everything that he is in this, he's the opposite. That's how you know Anthony Hopkins is a great actor. Because you watch The Father and he's so vulnerable. The whole Mm -hmm. movie, he's so fucking vulnerable. And in this movie, he's not vulnerable at all. No, he's always in control. He never loses that control. Ever. He's always like alpha in every scene, no matter who's around. And so I think his relationship with Clarice, like he does come to care for her in his own weird, strange way. And he wants to protect her. And he even tells her, he's like, you're you're out here like a carrot dangling. Like they kind of threw you to the wolves here. Like you should not be doing this. This is not what you should be doing. And um yeah, so then, uh, well, there's some good stuff then happens, doesn't it? Then? Well, <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, yeah, she finds, she, you know, she finds this patient's head. Um, and then this kind of opens up this whole, you know, it, it goes back and forth between her training and kind of failing these FBI tests because she's so immersed in the Buffalo Bill case. Yes. Her going down mm-hmm. to Virginia to check out the latest Buffalo Bill dump site. Um, you know, them kind of doing the X's and O's. Uh, you know, I, I'm just doing a broad strokes of the plot just because I kind of want to talk about serial killers in general. But eventually, you know, the, the big, uh, you know, the big end of, I guess, the 
I guess the first act is, you know, this woman is uh, abducted by Buffalo Bill. Mm -hmm. We find out it's Senator's, uh, the Senator's daughter. Brooke Smith, who's a great actress. Yeah, uh, Senator, I forget, I forget what the Senator's name is now. It's uh, Martin. Senator Martin's daughter. Um, Catherine Martin is her daughter. But we should point out that she's not kidnapped because she's a Senator's daughter. It's just that this is, you kind of, this is the good, this is what I also love is like when you see Buffalo Bill, you're just getting snippets of who he is and what he does. And so when she's driving, you don't really understand that she's the next potential victim you just kind of see her and then she's he's got the whole thing with his arm is broken and, and ted levine and who plays buffalo bill is so great in this movie but you never you never talk about it because of hannibal but he's just as good i think i agree so scary yeah and the whole so when you when she's introduced she's singing tom petty or like american girl she's she is right good. i think that's right yeah. and she's yep. like but she is this all-american girl and she's mm-hmm. a, a little pudgy and she but she's like seems really innocent but the scene where he abducts her in the van, it is like now true crime podcasts, all these things always talk about. It's like if somebody asks you to help get something in the van, it's like when we were kids, it was like, hey, if somebody offers you candy, say no and run away. Right. The whole idea of like, oh, my arms hurt. Can you help me get this in the van? And the way they shoot it is so creepy and convincing because she's just like nice. And it's like, yeah, I'll help you. And then the, she gets in and they like pushing the, the sofa in yeah. deeper. It's and she so does have that simple. Yeah, I was gonna say she has that one moment, and again from rewatching it, you see her face almost question: Is this safe? Should I be doing? Because he even says he's like, "I'll get you out of here in one minute." Like, because she goes to lift it, and then he yes. makes her go in, I, and yeah. that's. I think what he savagely. I mean, there's something about when he savagely, because he hits her like a man. It's not like, oh, it's not even God. like a guy getting in an argument with a girl that he slaps. It's like, he's just like, I'm going to fucking knock you out because all you are is a suit to me. Right. That's it's it. an object. You're to just him, a suit. Yeah. So. Incredibly mm-hmm. scary. And it's so hard to shoot those things. They would overshoot that these days. There'd be like nine camera angles. It would, for some reason, yes. have like pink and purple lighting or something. But it just felt like the scariest horror movies and very few ever do this. Just feels like it happened in five seconds in a regular life where somebody something horrible happened to somebody and that's always the scariest stuff it's not like an alien or a ghost or a demon it's like oh i made the smallest mistake and 10 seconds later my life is about to end and they nail it with this they do and it's like it's always like it's shot from the same angle too like where her door was so it's almost like had she gone inside and you like want that for her, but yeah, I mean, you know, he seems like a normal enough guy, and sure, yeah, but you're right, like, but that's life though too. Like sometimes, in seconds, your life can change if you just make the wrong move or see the wrong person. Yeah. So yeah. So that's uh okay. So we love we love Buffalo Bill. We love Buffalo Bill. We love Bill. him. How He's weird great. He is. Such a weirdo. But now, I okay. mean, how many of you guys in, in college? I would do the dance all the time at a party. Dan just still does the and, dance. Uh, yeah, like you the know, mangina just, dance. Just, yeah. yeah, the mangina just to spice it up. Get all drunk on Indiana whiskey and then just walk in. And especially like if I was obviously if I wasn't hitting on a girl that night. You, you know, know that's not a move. If you're if you're trying to get laid, that's not a move. But if you're with your buddy friends and their girlfriends, but you've done that. The you've done dance. that for me. It's also called fruit cupping. Is I, that what it's called? Well, that's what we call it when oh. we myself and my family on Long Island. There's something so but, interesting about watching yourself dance with your penis tucked between your legs, though. You know, I mean... I believe I know that, that to be true. And then yeah. you do this. <laughs> it's just a very bizarre situation. Wait, um, can I ask? Every guy has tried that, right? 
Like every guy has tried. Scotty has not, I don't think. I but haven't it's... publicly, but privately <laughs> I've seen what was happening. And yeah, it's, uh, yeah. it's good for a laugh, even it's if sure. you're alone. Yeah, it's a fun time. <laughs> He's got a very and he's got a very nice body. Let's give him that too. He looks um, great. Oh, he, he looks great. Very he put in the like work. he did. He he's did. He's the closest thing to a sex symbol in this movie. So we have um, Clarice. Uh, so <laughs> yes, actually. Um, so let's keep going. You talked about how she was going to all the sites, the dumping sites, yes. and she uh, she realizes there's something in her mouth because she sees like the tongue, the trace. And she's like, there's something in there. So they go in and they pull out a moth. And it's a very specific moth. And they sign, you know, they they look at it and they say it's from a specific region. These have to get brought over from Asia. Like they don't exist in the US. So it has to be someone who had access or shipment or, you know, received and all this. Mm. And where did they come from? So that's when we start figuring out a little bit more about great detail great mm-hmm. detail by the writers I, I guess that's in the novel I'm, sh- I'm sure that's enough but that is such a great detail of like how to track a criminal and then to pick the death's head moth which has a skull on it it's incredible i know it's mm-hmm. incredible and uh so then we are at the funeral parlor right and that's when she's surrounded by all the cops and, and they have the flashbacks you know simultaneously she's going this emotional journey where she's dealing with her father's death who was a cop? Who was shot, and mm-hmm. uh, she got placed with a farmer. Yeah. Who that she tried to, you know, silence of the lamb. She tried to save the lamb from the slaughter. Ends up escaping with the lamb. They get found out. She gets sent to an orphanage. It seems like, which mm-hmm. means she would be even more fucked up. Right. Um. And uh, you know, eventually, I mean, this is all. I I almost don't want to blow the plot for you guys because if you haven't seen it, you have to. You oh, have to it's watch one of the best. Like you have to watch this movie. But uh, you know, by the end of it, we we kind of set up these two. These a few different roller coasters where Hannibal Lecter is getting promised immunity or not immunity but a, a better situation. He you wants know, light. He's currently you know in a cell block that has nothing. Yeah. He wants to look at the ocean or the mountains or something. Yeah. He wants better. He's, he's very he's, reasonable. Very reasonable. I, I would. He's want trying the same. to outsmart um, his captors because he knows it's all bullshit. He's only giving them half truths. Then through the last file. Can um, I also say one thing? Mm-hmm. Not to interrupt. One of the, my favorite scenes is when she is talking about the lambs mm. and how it's like i'm giving you this now you give me this and it's back and forth it's, it's yes. like shorthand and then he's like answer this now this and then he gives her just enough info and then he goes into like the therapist mode of like tell me more about your <coughs> uncle and all of this kind of stuff so mm-hmm. it's an incredible scene that scene's so good too because when you have your hero in a scary movie you want you always have to be able to get them back into the kill box. You know, you have to always have them because she's an FBI agent. She has a car. She has a gun. She can go anywhere. So you always need that pull, those hooks. And the hook for her is she's she's trying to save this girl. So she'll do anything, including expose herself to the serial killer. Mm-hmm. And that scene is like... You know, she could be like, yeah, I don't know. See, ya. but instead she goes in and starts to say the most vulnerable things to Hannibal. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. And that he has a code and it's like the way that he doesn't kill Barney, the orderly who's actually nice to him too. Right. Like, Frankie cool Faison. Mm-hmm. Yes, he has a code, uh-huh. which is incredible. And that, that scene is sort of 
besides the big blockbuster scenes that we all think of and when it really gets bloody and crazy mm-hmm. later, but that scene of them negotiating and, and going back and forth, I think is like the best scene in the whole movie for both. Same. Well, I love it. I we, love that. Scene. And and to that point, Scotty, one of the things when, when Scotty was supervising, I, I read a horror script that Scotty supervised. Still up for sale, guys. Anybody who wants to be part of it. Yeah, it's part of it. Raising, Scotty was, raising money. Scotty was instrumental money. and uh in helping it become somewhat decent. And uh it's a great the script. third act, um, you know, one of the things, and this is what this has, is like with every, with every horror movie, there's the point where it just goes crazy, and then you don't stop, and uh, that yeah, happens in this scene. Yeah. That's true. That as soon is, as Hannibal kills the guards, they're off to the race. Mm-hmm. Excuse me, I don't know why I've been in to the races, but also, and yeah, we, I don't, we won't spoil it for any of we your listeners spoil. who may mm-hmm. not have. But unlike a lot of scary movies, where you usually get that one last, like the Meryl Streep comes out and tries to stab you at the last second. We get that one last big scare. This has the craziest, scariest sequence after all that horrific bloodbath, where it's like Clarice, when Clarice and Buffalo Bill do meet, again, no spoilers, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. scene is so intense that it's like, they keep it so high tension for like 25 minutes where you kind of feel like she's gonna die, which in mm-hmm. most horror movies, you don't feel that way. Right. I love that scene. My only, my thing, you know, that scene's fantastic. And I, and I got annoyed. There's, there's some like comments on Reddit. Like, why would you follow him downstairs? I'm like, cause it's a fucking movie, dude. And she's emotionally already invested in this. And she's a cop. It and makes she wants sense. to save this person. There's a woman there. She wants my, to save My the, thing though, it's like, so true. she gets the info. So how does she find him? That's my question. And it's the one thing, cause I've watched this movie so many different times. She talks to, uh, one of his old colleagues or, or somebody who knew his old colleague mm-hmm. that he used to work with. Did he kill that guy and just take his identity? And I think take, so, right? There, mm-hmm. Is that what it's supposed to be? He like yeah. killed yes. his identity? They don't say it, which again, it's like, I don't think you need to because it would take away the surprise, but it's always a question of mine. Of like, how is she able to figure it out? But the scene where, this is even before the chase. This, this is the scene yeah. where she realizes who he is and he realizes that she knows who he is and he puts his hands up gently and then he like starts to like almost like seductively put his hands down and then move to the and he's like giggling you're like that is a crazy motherfucker right here it's amazing the act 3 of this movie is the best finale it's incredibly good it's yeah. incredibly you know, good i also love when uh she f- you know when she sees Brooke Smith, and she Brooke Smith is like, "Help me, you bitch!" And yeah, it's like, "I love, get me out of here, you bitch!" And I think that's so great because that is how you would react if anybody was there. Don't fucking leave me, you bitch! Like, get back here. So I just love that that's in there because it's kind of out of character for someone when they're being rescued to like yell at the person that could potentially be rescuing them. Yeah. Um, the screenwriter, I mean, it's good Jonathan Demi was Ted Talley. I mean, Ted Talley knocked this one out of the park so far. Like, if you go beat for beat uh, of movies, also it's <laughs> under two hours. It's like just under yeah. two hours, but it's they perfect. don't drag it out. Don't drag man, it out. every line of dialogue is so... So a lot of times when people take novels and turn them into screenplays, they the dialogue still sounds like a novel, and I hate it. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. there's just a different type of writing. But Ted Talley, he writes every character sounds different, every character speaks different, and every yeah. character is weird in their own way. That dude knocked it out of the park. Mm-hmm. He ended up. I guess he wasn't even supposed to be the guy in the, the lead, but he was like friends with Thomas Harris or something like. 
So he kind of got it oh, there really? from the from the beginning, yeah. Because like, and then afterwards, you know, he wrote Red Dragon, he wrote uh, All the Pretty Horses. He had he had a good run after this for sure. But you know, screenwriting is out of almost every and you you don't have this. You have a few things, but like doing all these movies, I realize screenwriting is one of those jobs in Hollywood. You could write just one thing, and that's it. And the rest of the mm-hmm. IMDb pages, like there's people with famous scripts, like famous scripts who have a fifth of the IMDb page that I have. That's you know, right. just because they did these two things and that was and it. And that was it. But you that know, was like, also a different time. And they didn't do TV time. and yep. they didn't do, you know, like, yeah. so it's it's just kind of, it's it's interesting. But um, he nailed this one. I mean, he it did. Is, it's crazy because you feel satisfied, but you still feel uneasy at the end. Like the end is so great. And there's like a oh. joke at the end, which is fantastic. But there's so much, um, there, there are so many. Also, Chris Isaac is in the SWAT team. Chris Isaac's in He's this. George Romero's in this. George this Romero plays a prison guard. It's like That's pretty right. crazy how many people oh they God. stack in That's this. Right. Yep. Um, Chris, handsome Chris Isaac. That handsome Chris Isaac. God, who, what a, what a handsome who gets like boat. a credit in the opening titles. I'm like, interesting. Well, he must Did have been they? a hot musician. He was. Right? Well, n- I in. think Wicked Game came out in like 90. So he probably... This was the height of his sex appeal career. But yeah, that's a great scene. But the ending is so perfect to me, and again, without giving it away, because you're left sort of thinking, fuck. You know, it's not like a wrapped up in a nice, neat little package with a bow on it. It's like, right. oh, And that's how it should fuck. end, guys. Do yeah. not read the book Hannibal. It's terrible. Do oh, not see the movie Hannibal. It's terrible. Hannibal's the one that is... um. Hannibal Ju- Julian Moore is is the uh, Ray is the Clarice star. Ray, no, that's Red Dragon. Red Dragon. Hannibal is Red he Dragon's comes back. Not bad, it's though. it's the one the one cool thing about Hannibal is they have a new character um, who was attacked who played by Gary Oldman, uh, Clarence Star, and he was uh, he was attacked by Hannibal and survived essentially. But he's you know he's basically a vegetable he looks and he gets real bad. Mm-hmm. And he gets fed to the pigs uh, in, in the movie. In the book, he gets eaten by a giant eel. Um, totally which is normal by, by his yeah. female bodyguard who's like a China or something like that. Um, totally normal. <laughs> the one thing about I, I I can't say this is now. Here's the thing: is I think this is if we want to do serial killer pantheon movies, right? There's not a lot of great serial killer movies, mm-hmm. and people would say this is the best. I argue I think it's the best film out of all the serial killers, but it's not the best. It is not even close to depicting what a serial killer is actually like. Like, I think, like, the if you want to do police procedural, you do Zodiac. And if you want to do, like, actual, like, what serial killers are like, they just did um, uh, the Dennis Nielsen show on BBC, uh, who's a British serial... Did you see that or no? No, I don't think I did. It's unbelievable. And it's on... And the thing about... The reason that it's... I think it's more accurate. It's just like from the times I've studied serial killers and stuff. Because, you know, I'm a fat guy with a beard. We all we do. do. No, but we all yeah. do. That's the thing about that. And not to cut you off, Dan. But that's why yeah. this movie is so big. Because there were serial killer movies before this. But this is the one that made people talk, talk about... Like Quantico, the FBI. Yeah. Well, Hannibal's also a bullshit character. That's why. When the mom is in the press conference and going, Catherine is lovely, Catherine is this. And then the other girl goes, they're humanizing her. It's really smart. They're making her and see. Nobody had had that in a movie. No, nobody had that. And night vision goggles. No, I had never seen that in a movie. Like this introduced so many like new concepts. My only Mm -hmm. criticism, and it's, it's why it's a great movie and it's not. Is that like most serial killers? I think that there was like a like a this the prevailing thought, zeitgeist that like 
serial killers are brilliant after this, which is actually not true. Like uh, the Green River Killer had an IQ of 80 and he killed like 50 people. He just killed prostitutes and pe- women of color. So no one gave And he would shit. have kept doing it yeah. that he was caught. Like, like, a lot of these guys are lot. sloppy as fuck and yep. dumb and racist and drunk. Um, but they don't, but like, there's not many Hannibal Lecters in the serial killer. Very you know. But there are some Buffalo Bills because Ted Bundy used to do the same thing with his arm. Well, I would go with this is, I think this is, this movie to me is almost perfect. But I do think Seven is equally impactful. And I think when Mm -hmm. people saw Seven for the first time, it had the same thing where it's like, you have to see this. Don't spoil this. You've never seen anything like this. And it sticks with you in that way. And again, an ending that you're like, oh my God. So Mm -hmm. those two to me... And again, that's like a totally different type of serial killer with this master plan. But those two are the ones that I'm like, well, these movies are incredible. And there's so many misdirects. There's so many great performances. It may be like Gwyneth Paltrow. That's how good Seven (laughs) is. I thought she was very good. I I think it's one of her best movies, I think. I think it's one of the best. How funny it would be if you opened the box and it was a certificate to goop. (laughs) <laughs> it's yeah. skincare it's and skincare. vitamins. I'd be thrilled, by the way. That shit's expensive. The egg or whatever. Is just one of those. <laughs> the candles. I actually know Zodiac is up there for me just because it's the ultimate, like, just per- it's the best procedural movie ever where it's like you don't get what you want at the end. Mm-hmm. And a real you know? serial killer. Right. Yeah. And it's based on a real person. Probably yeah. multiple guys, you know, like, uh, you know, by the end of it, um, even though they just had that, they had that book that came out, which I got and I stopped reading, which was like, um, it was th- this guy who thought his dad was the Zodiac. And clearly he just had issues with his dad. Yeah. <laughs> like you're watching it and you're just like, yeah, here's my proof that he's the Zodiac killer. Wait, if, if your dad was like, if there was ever someone that you're like, that could have been my dad. Who? What do you think? What crime? Do you think you could have been my like that dad, was probably my dad? Uh, leaving uh, leaving an anonymous comments on New York Times reviewers who said <laughs> shitty things about his work, like <laughs> may, maybe doing the the Billy Madison thing where he puts like you know he lights a bag of shit uh, a brown bag of shit on Scott Rudin's house or something. Yeah, the door I like that. Away. I can see That's him doing a nice that. Piece yeah. of shit. Yeah. <laughs> so, good. Um, so do we want to get to our? What so, yeah, next? Well, well, the so, end of the movie is well, we essentially Clarice, we don't want to give. The, yeah, well, Clarice, well, I mean, we know she stops him, and at the very end of it, we'll, we'll give this away. So, spoiler word: she just graduates the FBI uh, training. She gets a call. It's Hannibal Lecter. He seems to be in some place like Haiti or somewhere in the Caribbean because he has escaped. He has escaped in a hilarious outfit. Mm-hmm. It's the funniest outfit. There's this guy named Francis James who used to open my shows. He would be on my old podcast, and he would dress exactly like Hannibal Lecter at the end of Silence of the Lambs. Or it's like <laughs> the 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 safari hat, and then the the yeah. coach, but then a, yeah, but, yeah, mm-hmm. but then also like a safari, like this weird, like uh, almost like. Charles Darwin meets pa- Parrot Head sort of outfits, <laughs> I would say, um, and uh, and it's uh, it's an awesome ending, man, because it's just that wide shot of him following, and he has a little saunter mm-hmm. as he's as he's following uh, this doctor. He this tips the hat. He tips yeah. the hat a little and sort of saunters. And walks away, away and then uh, he has the joke. He says, "I or something along the lines of like I'm having an old friend for lunch." And yep. That is so dumb mm-hmm. and great. Any other actor says that you like eye roll, but he says it and you're like, he's going to eat his ass. But it goes back to the code too, where he's like, I'm not going to pursue you. Don't pursue me. And she's like, I have to, or whatever. 
-hmm. but like you really understand that Clarice is maybe the only safe person in the world at this point when because if he says it he's not gonna go back kill her it. yeah well, he says that he says i'm not gonna kill you it's actually very much like i don't know if you saw that dave Chappelle bit when dave, when there was that uh you know the cop killer or whatever that guy who was in california yes um and he wrote that page he wrote like the i think it's brandon dormer what's his name dormer it's something like dormer mm -hmm. christopher dormer christopher dormer, christopher thank dormer. You. Uh, he wrote a whole manifesto. Dermer is a director. He's like Dermer. a buddy of mine. Oh, okay. Not great him. guy. Has never killed That anybody. guy's still very never much on the loose anyone. and making <laughs> great things. Uh, yes. But this guy, this he uh, he wrote up like a 10-page manifesto or something. And one of the things was he was just talking about how much he loves Dave Chappelle. So Chappelle came, and this was like during this time where he was like on the loose and everyone was looking for him. And the cops picked him up at the airport, and they were like, uh, we're here for your protection. And he just turns to him and goes, I mean, I don't think I need to be protected. I read, he's like, I read the letters. I think you guys are yeah. fucked, but I think, I think I'm fine. Like he likes it. I mean, me and Zach Alvinakis are fine because he loved the Hangover too. Uh, but like, uh, but everybody else is fucked. Marked safe from crime. I love that. Yeah, but yeah, this is uh, this is. I mean, look. Usually, the question we have on this is like, what happens next? What's the next scene? Unfortunately, they did do Hannibal, and if you haven't seen Hannibal or read it. The ending of it is so disgusting and gross, and they changed it in the movie, but the end of the book is so disgusting, and it's basically, they, like, share, like, they kind of dine on her boss's head together, her and Hannibal. Like, he mm. kind of, like, converts her a little bit, and that's why Jodie Foster didn't want to do it. She's like, this totally ruins the fucking character. And it's a weird book to read, because you can tell Thomas Harris is still a good writer, because I love Red Dragon, right? And, and, and so he's still got it, but it's almost like he's hating the characters and he's damning him. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's almost like, you know, like in Misery, you know, like when she gets all pissed off because she kills off Misery. It has this, like, he's just mean. He's like, all right, I'm going to, everything you liked about Clarice is done. They're all fucking animals. Mm -hmm. You know, like, it, it's just like darkness and depressing and tragic and sad uh, and totally unnecessary. So, um yeah, who knows? I mean, he could have been bored with them. He could have just taken a monster paycheck as an advance to go get it done as soon as you can. Or he really did think that was for the best. And you, you're not always going to have your finger on the pulse of no. what people really want. So, Or, I mean, on top of that, it could have been that he stewed and thought and daydreamed and blue skied about the earlier ones and kind of knew what they were and maybe this was a blank slate where it was like I, we know the characters we know what people responded to and if we don't give them something extreme they won't buy it or talk about it so i mean happens they could have the gone 20 fucking books you know that's yeah. the thing i mean you know he could have kept going and had good ones and bad ones but he just ends it it's very similar to the newest to kill a mockingbird where they make atticus finch a racist and you're just like what what happened um, you know, you're like, you're, you're ruining <laughs> in this one air, but attacks people, you know, like, you're like, what? Uh, <laughs> if you had to eat a part of someone, Scotty, what part would it be? But hundred percent. Yeah, for sure. But, yeah. For sure, but. Because mm -hmm. there's nothing in the butt. Butt's fat, right? Butt mm -hmm. is, if, you know, again, same era, but when a lot right. came out, people were like, Who, if you were dying, would you eat somebody? And I was like, yeah, I'd eat them before they died if it was about me surviving. But butt, yeah. butt cheek, final answer for sure. For sure, butt cheeks. Um, that was actually um, what's his name's favorite. Uh, who was the child killer? Who was like from like a hundred years ago? Um, uh, Albert Fish. 
Albert Fish loved eating a butt, a boy's a butt. A boy's butt. That was his. Uh, yeah, I, I guess. Think, I guess that's the actually butt what Brian Singer got in trouble for later on. Guys. <laughs> <laughs> uh, different kind of eating. Hey it's a different kind of eating. Uh, different uh, podcast. Yeah, meow, meow. different cereal. <laughs> do you think? Do you think Hannibal Lecter is scarier than any other monster in a horror movie or any other villain? No. I don't because I do think there are rules and I think the scariest monsters are the ones that are just completely unpredictable and unhinged. Like, let me think if I could think of one that's scarier. Like the shark in Jaws is scarier in a way, except that you can get away from it. But you feel like I could outrun Anthony Hopkins, but I couldn't outswim the shark in Jaws. So I'm like, I can get away from this old guy if I needed to. Um, no, I think there's probably a lot that are scarier. Um, but he is scary in that, like, when he does break her down, he smells her perfume and he can tell by her cheap shoes. And, mm-hmm. like, there is something scary about somebody dressing you down immediately in the real world. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'll think. Well, I mean, Freddy Krueger is so scary because you have to sleep. And that was like the genius of that movie is like, mm-hmm. yeah. don't fall asleep, don't fall asleep. And we feel that in life when we're driving cars or watching a movie with our partner. And you're like, don't fall asleep. And then imagine <laughs> if, as soon as you did, you die. Like, Oh, my God. And sleep deprivation is the fucking worst. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's a torture device. But uh, All dread is really scary. It Follows was so good because the dread of just Dan Soder was on our show. fully yeah, being able to do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, never being able to fully relax. Even though if people are like, well, just get in a plane and fly away. You're like, yeah, but it's still coming for you. You, you know, they have it. One of the scariest, and it's not like a scary, like a jump, but one of the scariest ideas... That I, it, it's in the Stephen King. We were at Stephen King's revival. They're probably going to make it into a movie soon, but the whole movie is, you know, he basically f- finds this guy who's like a miracle worker, and they work together. He cures him of his heroin addiction. He's using all this weird science, but he ends up opening a portal, and he sees the afterlife, and the afterlife is just hell for everyone. So it's like all these people's ants being whipped by these giant insect, like just hell. Like, what is this? This is Stephen King's revival. All these insect like creatures. It's like the afterlife. And then he stops seeing it. So the rest of the book, it's just him. It's another chapter, him knowing that everyone's going to hell when they die. And he's just waiting to die to go to this hell. And I was like, well, that's uh, existential horror if ever I did hear one. Mm -hmm. That's a good idea, though. Yeah, I haven't read that, but that's a cool idea that it, it, just the idea of that it's coming and it's, you can't get away from it is great. But I do, like I said at the top, I do think I respond to horror movies that feel like it could happen. It's not paranormal. I love paranormal movies. I love ghost movies. I love all that shit. I like. I kind of like possession movies. I th- think they're all basically the same. It's been so long since you've seen somebody get possessed that you're like, well, this is new. No, it's Exorcist mm-hmm. or Rosemary's Baby. Last good yeah. one was Last Exorcism, I thought. The only thing that is similar to it is like if someone takes bath salts and then they become like a fucking, yeah. you know, cannibal and eat someone's face. Like that's, to me, yeah, I'm that's in Florida scary. right now. I lock the doors. <laughs> As soon as I get inside. Careful, don't hang out in your garage. Okay. And Hereditary was really effective for possession, too. But it's, uh, yeah, I think Hannibal is so creepy because you do feel like in your life you've had conversations with people in passing, especially women get talked to in a way all the time where somebody's like, get home safe, have a nice day. You're like, why did you say that? I, I just had a guy, uh, when I was driving down here at a gas station, I was just filling up this old guy, you know, that like, 
that lifelong smoker alcoholic look where like the cheeks are sunken in and yeah. you know a few mm. teeth are missing and he had sort of like light tan coveralls on and i you know everybody says hey to each other down here so i was like walking back to my car and he goes be safe out there and i was like this motherfucker what does he know that i don't know on highway 41 <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah so man, it's terrifying awesome. out there. Although I will say, I think that uh, the one good thing about mass shooting, less serial killers, they're more transitioning to mass shooters, which, uh, you know, at least will be over quicker. Right. True. And you find them. You don't have to hunt for them. Like they either kill themselves or they're captured immediately. If you're a serial killer now, the best way to get away with it is being a truck driver still, because you can just okay. dump it in we're, one. We're not going to. Sorry, I'm not giving advice. Yeah, I'm no, just no, saying it's not... still. That's like why those guys never get caught. Everybody else gets caught. But if you're on the move. I think there's two right now. There's the one in Austin and the one in Portland. They think I heard about the one in Portland. Active. The one in Portland, yeah. They're really trying to keep it weird. These two cities, they keep <laughs> it weird. Who's going to be weirder? But yeah, there's one that they keep finding bodies in Lady Bird, Johnson Lake or whatever. And in Portland, they are finding all these women. And in Lady Bird Lake, they're finding all these men. And they think it's too different serial killers what's your favorite here who's your favorite my serial? i mean my favorite i mean it's hard to say because there's so many no mm-hmm. <laughs> just no the guy the guy that i do relate to as far as like a comedian and i think henry zabraski has said this too so i'm not really uh covering any new ground here but john wayne gacy is the most stand-up comedian personality and really not even how he kills or who he kills the reason that he's more like a comic because he does this weird thing where when he was getting caught he knew he was getting trailed, so he would like go out and like talk to the cops and be like, "Can you believe me? They they, they want to kill me. Can you believe that guy? this is crazy?" And then he would yeah. go back and then kill a guy, which just seems like such a comedy personality, like just like 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 almost like asking like, "Hey, am I funny?" You know, like in the middle of it. Um, so I think that he, I think the uh, lamest BTK's poems are really atrocious, which mm-hmm. they cover on Last Pass God Yes on the Left. But the guy clearly just wanted to be like a mysterious night writer um but the scariest ones are always the ones like the the uh harold shipman's the guys who are nurses uh or doctors who mm-hmm. can kill willy-nilly and they never get caught until they're at like a hundred because they can get away with it like that that good nurse um movie that was just on netflix based on that one guy um yeah i think those are the scariest because they get away with it I'm sure that there is a t- there's somebody in history who has like over a thousand bodies as like a nurse or a doctor just because, you know, no one was the wiser, especially during the times, you know, where it was like bleeding and medieval mm-hmm. times was like a, a way to like, you know, cleanse your uh, y- your spirit. So I would say that's the lamest. Wait, you know. this is so funny. I just Googled, you know, about the serial killers. They said, and this is as of May 27th, around 2,000 active serial killers in the u.s alone they always said 50 wouldn't it go up to 2000 i have a question how many how do you even know how, if you're a serial killer it's just one like more than one so someone just kills yeah. two other people but like that does seem like a very high amount of serial killers oh in the state that raises the most serial killers new york so there you go. Really? Yeah. Mm. Uh-huh. Oh, number one. I would not have guessed that. Though. I would I not would have, have either. Not, not either. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're all assholes. We don't well, like Jack, any Jack, of them, really. Jack the Ripper had a skin here, Joel Rifkin. And then there was somebody up in New York. I think it's Arthur Shawcross. Hmm? Oh, Son of Son Sam. Of Sam. 
Yeah. Son of Sam. Yeah. But then there's also Arthur Showcross or something like. Oh, the guy that was in uh, Poughkeepsie. Yeah, that, that guy. One. Yeah. Well, then there's that's another guy. Uh, the, there's the black dude in Poughkeepsie when we were there, who like was my friend. I, I I did this gig in Poughkeepsie, Laugh It Up Comedy Festival, and one of the guys who worked at the club used to wrestle this guy because he was a oh, really? super heavyweight Greco-Roman wrestler. I think he actually died of HIV in prison. But his place is, I mean, this is where it comes. It's the opposite hand of Elector. Like, the yeah. cops, like, literally went to his place, and you, you just see body parts everywhere, and you're like, all right, well, this guy's going to jail forever. It's him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even the worst of the detectives was like, I have a pretty good idea that it was him. Well, that's the thing with the Dennis Nielsen thing. It's like they went to his house, and they're like, hey, we're having problems with the plumbing. And he goes, oh, yeah, probably because there's uh, bones and guts in there. <laughs> and uh, then they just arrested him, and that was it. <laughs> you know, like, dear Lord. Wait, it's a really great book. I've read the book, um, The Man on the Train. I don't know if you guys ever read. I've that. heard of that. I haven't. I haven't seen it yet. I, mean, I would I say it. if you two take a long drive. So I always buy these Kindle books that come with like the audio, the audible yeah. component, and yeah. it's like the when you live in LA, you're in your car so much that yeah, audible is like a lifesaver. But that one, the reader, I think it's the author reads it, and it's. It's incredible. Like it, basically, it's like a sports statistician that uses the way that he breaks down baseball and different sports and goes back and examines all of these murders and finds mm. commonalities between them and like what connects them all. And it's like this: these two train lines connect all these murders. And this was before. Is this the real? Break. So this it's is real. real. And then oh, he wow. thinks he figures yeah. out who it was. But this person, Dan, when you were like, "There's probably some of the thousand bodies." In the 1800s and 1900s, they think that this guy may have killed over 100 to like 150 people. Yeah. And it's like the same MO everywhere. But then he also does a really good job of ruling out other cases that are like seven of the 10 factors are the same. But he's like, but this is why I don't think it was because he locked this door and left this window open. It's very fascinating. That's called autism being used for good, everybody. <laughs> yeah. Uh, autism <laughs> being used for good. <laughs> Well, you know, and they they keep, I mean, like they have the guy um, Samuel Little now in L.A. That's the big one who they say has the most bodies because he's up to like 80 now. But the reason he got away with it, he just fucking killed, you know, black prostitutes in his car, man. I mean, it, it's most of these guys, that's how they get away with it. They kill black prostitutes mm-hmm. and then it takes it, it takes people forever or it's like they wait until the first white girl's killed. You know, like, and then they do it. Well, it's kind of like what's happening in Portland right now. Like, there are a lot of white women that have been killed, which is why I think we're hearing about it. Yeah. Mm. Fascinating. But it was this... Spaventa, you just went to Portland, didn't you? Yeah, Spaventa, what were you doing in Portland? Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, I went to LA. Went to LA? (laughs) That's his cover. I did go to Portland once, though, for like two days. No, that's That's enough time. It's enough time to kill a few Uh people. Uh Plenty of time. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, um, but yeah, yeah but- it, this introduced so many concepts that when you listen to it or when you watch uh, Sansa Lambs now, like the way that they break down and even like Mindhunter of the show, it's fascinating how ahead of its time it was before true crime was a phenomenon in the last, you know, eight years or whatever. Mm-hmm. Everybody always watched Dateline, everybody watched Forensic Files, but now true crime is like huge business. Sansa Lambs predates that stuff so much and gave some of us the idea like the FBI is tracking these people. There is something called a serial killer. It was fa- And they have certain traits that you can kind of pick apart. It was really smart. I, I've never read the book, but 
I think I will go back and read the book. It seems mm-hmm. like it's yes. Yeah, so what I haven't read, Red Dragon's great. If you haven't read that, um, I actually yeah. liked that movie. I liked Red Dragon. And the series, Hannibal, the series is very good. Sarah didn't crazy like it, but good. It. Yeah, but it's so brutal because like whenever I would t- pitch TV shows, they'd be like, you know, crank it up, and it would be like ABC, CBS, NBC, Fox. You're like, really? How far are they going to go? Then you watch <laughs> Hannibal, and you're like, oh, they're really showing some deaths here. Mm-hmm. Not to mention they they make them like beautiful, like the the color scheme and the art direction of that whole show. A good idea. Um, yeah, and you know, like, and I think that's the problem with like, some serial killer movies because there's some serial killer movies I can recognize as being good. You know, like we just watched House the Jack Belt. Um, there's a there's a movie called the Poughkeepsie Tapes. I don't know if you've ever seen that, which I is so have. fucked oh, up. So fucked up. But the up. problem with that is like none of those movies have a moral center. It's just every single one of those movies is like check out how fucked up this part is. Mm-hmm. You know, opposed to you know, man. I mean, we keep going back on it. Everyone's like, oh, I love David Lynch. It's like, well, there's a good guy and the bad guy in every story. And it's like most of the times, it's like you just want a good guy and a bad guy. You know, that's yes. it. Yeah. Or a good woman in or this a good case. Woman. Yeah. Signs of the Lambs. Yeah, absolutely. It's the mm-hmm. best. I'm glad that you guys wanted to talk about this one or that somebody hadn't claimed it first because a lot of times when you're talking horror movies, it's like there are sort of the big the big guns that everyone's talking about. But this one is, I, again, probably the best movie out of all of them. And winning a best picture, I'm pretty sure it's the only one that did. Did Alien or Aliens win? No. Best picture? No. no, this is yeah. the only one that won. Pretty crazy. This I mean, is the only that, horror that won. Think of how prudish and vanilla man. and wimpy people are now. Like, if you say anything like offensive or scary, people are like, no, I just can't imagine a horror movie winning Best Picture ever again. It feels I mean, you're right. I, you, know, you know, there yeah. was a movie, like Get Out, I thought, you know, that was in the conversation, but it wasn't the best movie of the but year. But he did win good. screenplay. But then there was a movie that came out that was a horror movie, but it then kind of turned into a drama and it was on Netflix was so good and it was about like an immigrant family like this woman who she lost her family at sea and the ghosts were coming and then by the end of it you realize yeah you saw that right that like by the end of it i was like this is the first horror movie that turns into a drama i've seen dramas that turn into horror movies Mm -hmm. but this is like this is now was just about immigration (laughs) you know like um so that's the only way i could see somebody sneak it in as like a best of, you know? Yeah. No. yeah. It needs the detective element. It does need the, it's the FBI element that grounds it. And, yeah. the, you know, there's always a new thriller or suspense movie. But the last few like mega hit scary movies like were like Invisible Man, which is fine. Probably. I liked it. It was yeah, okay. It was, fine. It was a yeah. good movie, but it made She was great. Dollars. So maybe she carried it. Yeah. But like something like that made a gazillion bucks and it still would never get nominated for anything like not even i don't know did it get cinematography did it get best performance like it's very invisible man no i don't think it got anything i don't think it was nominated for anything and it probably shouldn't have been but it's a fascinating thing that now the only things that really make money in the theaters are franchises or or scary movies that's it so they should be rewarding Jesus the very Christ, best man. of the I mean, scary movies. Can you think of the last time there was like a monster comedy hit? You know what I mean? It's been so fucking long since there's been a hand. I mean, I'm thinking like literally the Bridesmaids. Was, Bridesmads probably was like the last. That one that Seth Rogen did with the kids. I think that did well. Um, Good Boys was funny and did well. Yeah. But I, I think there were probably Tiffany Haddish and Kevin Hart movies in there. That yes, made yeah. hundred yes. million plus. But they weren't. The girls trip was really big. It's just mm-hmm. hard to have cultural. Now there's just so much content. There's so many films. It's hard to have something stick. And it's like, 
It was a miracle that Maverick hit as hard as it did. But like Avatar made what, $2 billion? I, maybe you guys saw it. I haven't seen it, and I've never had a conversation about it with anybody I know. Well, well we have an Avatar, a resident Avatar apologist, Dan Spaventa. <laughs> it's uh, good. That's 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 all I can say. Uh, I big Avatar it, fan. But we don't know if he's I've getting never paid by James seen, Cameron. I, I never not. even saw the original one. I'm just I'm good on that. So yeah. Sorry, when I was Spaventa, on Workaholics. We had this debate constantly because Anders Durs on Workaholics thinks Avengers is terrible and Avatar is incredible and everybody it was the best because he was like I think Avengers is stupid I think Avatar is underrated incredible and we were every like six months it would come up where you'd be like really you don't like it at all he's like garbage Avatar is number one and so I'm sure he was there opening weekend Oh yeah, man, the way of water, baby. Which oh, is God, already like such a. I just love it how like uh, James Cameron just fucking he's so, he's got so much ego of like he's like he's like are your special effects going to like shit compared to ours? Like he's become it's like dude, you already won Best Picture, and now you're like you're you're like like niche in Hollywood is being like I'm the best fucking effects guy fucking ever. Suck my fucking dick, you know? Like that's just every interview that he has. Yes, I'm the guy, you know. Yeah, but and he does keep doing it. So he he does tap into something, even though a lot of times people are like, "Well, the dialogue's kind of crap or whatever." But like Terminator Two is still amazing. Oh, Terminator Two is the best. Terminator Two dialogue's good there, you know. And Aliens Two. Yeah, I think so too. I do wish somebody like James Cameron would do a very small movie again, like. I, I used to hear stories about like Eddie Van Halen would play like a little bluesy acoustic set at a friend's house and everybody was blown away. Or like Metallica would play some bar in Ireland unannounced. And then if you were there, you were there. I kind of wish somebody like James Cameron, who has, you know, a- access to everything, mm-hmm. just went back and made uh, a clerks, you know, just went back and yeah. made a, a $100,000 indie. So you can see where his storytelling is when it's like unknown actors because some people do that, like the Steven Soderbergs and the the Linklaters yeah. and stuff. They yeah. kind of make small movies sometimes, and you're like, I love those movies. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love Linklater. Yeah, I just don't think that that's part of his plan. You know what I mean? I don't think yeah. that he wants. I think he wants to be like, I want to do the first fucking VR movie that fucking makes a billion dollars. I think mm-hmm. that that's, probably will. He yeah, probably will. He probably will. Well, mm-hmm. Scotty, thank you so much for coming on. Is there anything you'd like to? Pull? Oh, well, one other question: Do you base and when you were writing Ma for Octavia Spencer's character, did you pay, base her on any real life criminal? Was there anything that like kind of came into play when you were constructing her? Yeah, so I base that character, her name's Sue Ann. And when I was in high school, I went to two parties. One was a friend, a couple guys I played soccer with were doing Hey Mister at this place called One Stop. And this dude was like, yeah, I'll buy you beer if you buy me cigarettes and whatever. So they did. And then that guy was like, I have a house. If you guys want to party in the basement. And then so we all got a call. And we all went over there and like like four high schools worth of kids showed up and we were just raging in this guy's shitty basement. And at the time he felt like he was 40, but honestly, he was probably 25. Yeah. And he had like an unfinished basement. It was kind of surrounded by the woods. Cars lined up up and down the street, like solo cups and empty beer cans and butt ice bottles the whole way down the driveway. I walk on the back, M&M's first or second album is like blasting from a stereo 
it's like weed smoke, cigarette smoke, beer. And I oh, step in and I see my high school girlfriend talking to that guy and they're smoking cigarettes. And I was like, oh shit, that guy is going to figure out that she's with me. And then he's an adult man and he's going to beat me up in front of four high school worth of kids. <laughs> and I'm going to look like a huge pussy and everybody's going to beat me up forever. So I like me and my best friend were like, fuck this. And I left. And then this other same high school, same experience, but a friend of mine had a, an aunt whose dad, um, whose husband was a traveling businessman. They were very wealthy. And when he would leave town, my friend would spend the night at her aunt's house. And the aunt would be like, well, you can have friends over. And the first time we hung out, it was like four or five of us. And she didn't care if we drank like whatever we were drinking, buds or whatever mm -hmm. we were drinking back there, boons. And she stood on the stairs and she was like a rich Jewish lady who would be like, you two are so funny. And she would like flirt with the guys and the girls. Like, yeah. uh, I'm trying to think who else was there, but they'd be like, Kinsey, you got the cutest butt. And then she'd be like, Scotty, <laughs> don't call me when you're 18. She would say like shit like that. But you think it's charming now, but now, you know, then, but now no, you're like, Oof. It was creepy then. Probably. She was 40 <laughs> and we were 16. So it was definitely creepy. And then, but she had like a pool table and like, she had stuff. It was fully carpeted. She had an entertainment system, all these things. And then the next time the husband went out of town and we went there, everybody had heard. So like 80 kids came and it got out of control and people were having sex under a fitted sheet in the middle of the floor. But she just stood on the stairs okay. watching it. And I felt unsafe because it felt like it was going to. That guy was having sex with you under that sheet in front of her. <laughs> and I was like, this is my favorite sheet. <laughs> um, and so I combined that rich mom who would flirt and just hold court over all these teenagers partying in her basement. And then this other guy in a shitty house who we didn't know, who for some reason invited a bunch of boys over just to drink in his unfinished basement with no furniture, like literally dirt and cinder blocks. Oh I mean, that's God. a serial killer, yeah. by the way. Like that's a setup for a serial killer. Go on, sorry. His name was Jimmy or Timmy or something like that. And so I was like, if you take those two real people, I'm sure every suburban town has one or two of those people. And I just thought it was scarier if it was a woman, because if it's a guy that says, come drink in my basement, a girl's going to say no these days. But if like a kind of plump, pudgy, nice something, 40 something ladies like you guys could drink at my house in your high school, you might do it. Mm -hmm. No, yeah, for oh, sure. Hell yeah. I actually have a story. This I would also do it right now if a 40-year-old <laughs> woman <laughs> I think that you. Actually, you're just me. inviting yourself. A 44-year-old woman inviting you over for This isn't day. really scary or creepy. This is just kind of funny and sad. But we used to party at this place on my friend's property. It was like he had a shack. We'd always hang out there and, like, you know, like smoke pot and, like, do shitty sublime covers and all this other shit. <laughs> And then uh, I wasn't here for this, but I, there was a knock on the door. My friend Mike Newton, Dave Newton, and this guy named George Leeds came in. And uh, he, uh, he was like, hey, man, I just live next door. I was just wondering if I could smoke you guys out. And they're like, yeah, they smoked out. They're drinking. They're having a fun time. Then all of a sudden they hear, no, Dad? Dog's oh, sorry, sorry, my dog. Yeah. Dad, are you here? And it was his daughter. <gasps> and, the, and he just goes, shh, pretend I'm not here. Pretend I'm not here. <laughs> so it was like, his like grammar school or middle school daughter had to go find this guy who was just getting fucked up with all my high school friends. <laughs> that's right. And that's exactly right. And that like I have that character in Ma too, where it's like the mom is trying to hide the party from her daughter that she's like trapping at home. And it's like, mm -hmm. it's because that too, I was thinking, 
It was like, if that husband knew what was happening in his basement when he yeah. was out of town mm -hmm. selling stationery or whatever he sold, you're like, it's just creepy. And also we were never allowed to go upstairs in either house. So that was like a big thing. It's like, you can't go to the first floor. So it just felt like a little prison of popularity. And I was like, that's, that's it. So mm -hmm. yeah, it was based so on drink real wherever, people, man. Criminals. If you want to drink in high school, you will drink wherever. Oh, God, that's yeah. the moral of the story. You'll drink yeah. whatever and you'll drink wherever yeah. yeah it doesn't even have to be a nice Keontae it could be Boom's Farm and that my friends <laughs> is looping Silence of the Lambs and our stories together I'm your host Dan Sager Scotty what do you have to uh, promote just Bananas Podcast it uh, comes out every Tuesday I do it with Kurt Brown Oler it's a silly strange news and storytelling podcast it's men it's, it's a women trans and non-binary guest only and we're about 200 episodes deep so we'll jump in anytime we'd love to have you listen to Bananas all right, sweet. Thank you, Scotty. Thank you, Scotty. And check out Ma, but you guys probably oh, yeah. already have checked it out since yeah. it's our Rewatch Ma. When the machine comes on Netflix, give it a watch. There you go. Give it a watch. Keep uh, fucking Bert Kreischer and Jaeger, folks. Um, <laughs> all right, thank you, Scotty, so much. Scotty, I appreciate thanks, it, man. Thanks, man. Thanks, Scotty. Follow the show on Instagram and TikTok at the It Couple Podcast. And if you have a question or comment about horror movies, send us an email at the It Couple Podcast at gmail.com. Also, leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts so more people can find the show. The Patreon is launching this Tuesday, October 24th, where you'll be able to subscribe for weekly bonus episodes at patreon.com slash the It Couple. The It Couple is hosted by S.J. and Dan St. Germain. Executive producer, audio engineer, and editor is Dan Spaventa. Video producer, Chuck Astudo. Social media producer, Lauren Gerard Cuteo. Opening theme music by Mike Abuso at Behind the Curtains Media. Subscribe to our YouTube page for full video episodes and tune in next week for The Exorcist with our guest, Joe DeRosa. The power of Christ compels you. The power of Christ compels you. He brought you low by his blood-stained cross. Do not despise my command because you know me to be a sinner.